Welcome to the Dramatic Broadcast with Michael Jerome and Frank Sasso. This is the show that answers the question, what is Dramatic Prog? Smashing traditional musical understanding against the rocks of boring, uninteresting composition. Michael and Frank explore groups and singers that forged ahead of naysayers to give us quality music today. The progressives, the skill, the discipline, the dramatics. Now, here are your hosts, Michael and Frank. Yo, peeps. Frank Sasso here. That's right, Frank Sasso on the inaugural episode of Dramatic Prague. What the heck is Dramatic Prague? Well, just hang on, all right? Calm down. (laughs) We're going to get to that in a second. This is a music podcast. It's all about music, especially the magic that is Dramatic Prague. Again, what the heck is Dramatic Prague? Again, I say, calm down. We'll get to that. I have with me the creator of Dramatic Prague himself, the creator, Michael Jerome. What's up, Mike? How you doing, Frank? Good to see you, my man. Everything good? Good to see you. Everything's good. Looking good, man. You been working out? (laughs) With you. (laughs) Mike and I go to the gym together. It's quite the experience in the locker room. (laughs) Mike and I have been going to the gym now together for what? However long. Maybe a little more than a year, maybe? I think so. Something like that. Well, Mike and I met at the gym in New Jersey, of all places. I heard somebody blowing a trumpet in the locker room one day, and it turns out it was Mike blowing his nose. And like any true musician, it sounded like Count Basie Orchestra was warming up. I'm like, my God, is that coming out of somebody's head? Anyway, so Mike and I started talking, and of course, we're like, found out we were very similar. Lucky it was coming out of my head. I blow my nose in the shower. I don't blow my nose out in the open like that. I'd be embarrassed. But you, my friend, you have little to be embarrassed about because you are quite the musician. I got to say, I had heard a recording of some of your music that you eloquently refer to as dramatic prog, which I'm still a little like hazy on the meaning like I grasp it and then I feel my understanding of it like slipping away like smoke like no 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 come back <laughs> like I understand it but I don't understand it and then like it, it slips away and then when I see you we start talking I get it again but for the listeners for the benefit of the listeners what I want to do is I want to go through some different genres of music and I want you to give basically the description of said music for anybody out there that, that maybe doesn't know what progressive rock means or what denotes classic rock. What does that mean? What does pop really mean? I'm just going to go through a few of them and then we're going to lead up to how dramatic prog, what it is and why it matters. Is that cool? Sure. All right. First of all, progressive rock. How would you describe progressive rock? Do you have any examples of bands or groups that we can maybe think of to help explain that? Yes. Pink Floyd, yes. Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Mm Mm-hmm. Genesis, before Phil Collins started singing, when Peter Gabriel was still their vocalist. When Collins was still on drums. When Collins was still on drums. Okay. The genius of a drummer. Why do they, uh, call, right them away, pro- why do they call that progressive rock, uh, not just rock? Well, progressive was actually a term that was started, the first time I heard it was at WMMR in Philadelphia in okay. the early 70s. Okay. They said, WMMR, progressive rock, hmm. meaning it wasn't just silly pop music for dancing teenagers anymore. In other words, the Beatles had put out Rubber Soul in 1965. Okay, yeah. And that changed rock music from just being a teenage phenomenon into actually an adult art form that was looked at like Picasso Mm. in, in art or like Shakespeare in literature. 
the cover of that album alone, just the cover, it was like unnerving a little bit. It was. It looked like it was shot through a fisheye uh, lens camera. Yes. And you have Paul looking aloofly off camera. Yes. John looking dead at you, but he has one eye looking at you and one eye is looking off. It, it was just very disturbing. It was, and because what you saw with that photograph were the Beatles weren't kids anymore. Mm. They were men. These were 25, 26-year-olds who had been... When they were teenagers, they were playing in Hamburg. They were playing That's in, right. uh, well, like in the 17, sex. They were, they were playing in the red light district of right, Hamburg. Right. Sure. That's where they cut their teeth. That's where they honed their live shows. Right, right. And what you saw about that was they're adults now. Mm-hmm. And they were making adult music. The lyrics were poetry. Sure. It wasn't just some silly, I love Bobby Sue anymore. Right, well, I want and to hold the, a hand. And the yeah. chord changes. Their chord changes were outrageous. What they were doing with keyboards and guitar and bringing in orchestral instruments with their producer, George Martin, was right. absolutely right. mind-boggling. And then when they did Sgt. Pepper, and even before that Magical Mystery Tour, oh my goodness. those, I thought, those were the first progressive rock records ever, because they they incorporated classical music, jazz, orchestration. It wasn't just four-chord pop anymore. These were very complex songs and harmonies and structures that that could actually be notated on sheet music and passed out to a classical orchestra, and the London Symphony Orchestra could do an arrangement of it. Sure. So those were really the first progressive records, I think. So progressive, Progressive the very definition... Just what it says... There's a progression. So it's not like the Beatles had this perennial character that they would always go back to. That would not be progressive. They started out four mop tops, these wacky kids from London, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they progressed into the Rubber Soul era, which then progressed into Magic Mystery Tour, Sgt. Peppers, and then finally let it be. Yes, exactly. They were maturing it they were maturing as human beings and as artists at the same time. So almost like maturing rock. Right. You could call it even in a Uh, sense. uh, Of course. When you're nine years old, once you master some of these uh, these finger exercises and some of these churny exercises some Bach and some Beethoven. You want to move on to stuff that's challenging. So would you say there are groups, there are singers, there are musicians who would claim to be progressive, but truly, they're really not? Yes. In contemporary music right now, or within the last 10 or 15 years, the band Tool and an offshoot of them called The Perfect Circle. The Perfect Circle. And a British band called Muse. Mm-hmm. I think they very much fall into the parameters of progressive rock. Because oh, so they do fall into that. I think Muse does. Tool and Perfect Circle claim they do because it's sort of art rock. How long have they been exactly around? not exactly four chords. How long have they been around? The early 90s, I think. Tool's okay, been so around mid I know. mean, they could get progressive. Right. The radical changes in their music are being done by the drummer and the bass player. The other musicians are sort of doing stuff that's not too much motion or, okay, or so they're, complex. They're, they're it's keeping, minimalist almost. So those members of the group, I say, right. are kind of keeping the group stapled down yes. and, and not being able to progress because of that. The drummer is not just playing a 4-4 rock beat through it. He's changing. There's a lot of crazy time signature changes that okay. is reminiscent of what Bill Bruford used to do in Yes All right. and what Billy Cobham used to do in Mahavishnu Orchestra. Gotcha. So there are elements of that that I consider progressive. I don't know if they would describe themselves as progressive, but I've heard people say, you know, that's the new progressive rock, those guys. No, and I'm like, it, well, you know. We'll see what, you know, time so, will tell. Right. All right, what about classic rock? 
Classic rock is, again, probably from about the mid-60s till about 1980. That like sort Zeppelin? of encompasses... Yes, they're sort of... Zeppelin's very progressive. See, I wouldn't say me. Zeppelin is progressive. But Zeppelin, for me, I feel right. like if you hear one Zeppelin song, you've heard them all. No, take any Zeppelin album, even the, from their first through whatever, and listen to it. Half of it is acoustic music and keyboards and synthesizers. John Paul Jones didn't only play the bass. He was a great keyboard. All right, I'll revisit because I feel like Black Dog can go right into Stairway. It can. I mean, it, meaning like it, it doesn't sound, oh, oh, it, it all sounds pretty oh, much the oh, same oh, sound. Oh. No, no. Every great band, mm-hmm. every great band or great mm-hmm. artist, mm-hmm. U2, for instance, the first four bars, the first note, yeah. you know it's you too. That the way the, the okay. bass and the drums groove together and what Edge is doing with his guitar tone. Okay. Even before Bono comes in with his voice, you know it's you too. But they haven't been playing the same song for 30 years. This is true. Uh, you know what I mean? This is true. You, All right. but you know, in other words, if it's a brand, if it's a band that's really good, Springsteen. I was just going to ask you a right question away. about Springsteen. Just now, right. you read my mind. You know it's him right away. But if it's something you haven't heard before, you want to hear you what might he's think it, But then you might think it's Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, because I just had this conversation with my wife. We are in the car the other day. She puts on uh, the radio. And uh-huh. I think, I, I'm not sure if it was Piano Man. It might have been Piano Man. I forgot what it was. And she goes, this sounds like Springsteen. And I'm like, right. oh, let, me, so let me throw this out to you. How would you categorize Springsteen and Billy Joel? Their styles are quite similar. They started in progressive and classic rock. Okay. I'll play you a Billy Joel record. It's very progressive. Same with Springsteen's first two records. Very progressive. A lot of complex keyboard things David Sanchez had going on. I feel like there's a bug Uh, coming on. uh, Right. But Springsteen was, like Billy Joel, a working class poet. Okay, yes. Who was part Bob Dylan, part Beach Bum, part... Long Island street kid. Yeah. All rolled into this fantastic... Uh, he just had the blue collar kind of... They both had the pulse of America at the time that they came of age. Both of them. Okay. Both great lyric writers. Springsteen puts chords together great. He's very underrated as a guitarist. I think he's a great guitarist. But Billy Joel, fantastic piano player. Unbelievable. Unbelievable I can't believe player. his hands move that Unbelievable fast. Unbelievable piano player. Really, and his hands, and he has like short fingers. Very short fingers. Really very, amazing. He should be, you look at his hands, you would think they belong to a boxer. Yes, and not, yes, you know? exactly. Very, very like punchy and, his, and small. Short, like his the last digit on his finger that on my finger, my yeah. fingernail takes up almost it's the like, whole digit. It's like, isn't even there. His is like a half. Right, like like yeah. the, like the tips of his fingers have been got caught in a cigar <laughs> uh, in a cigar kind of like you know. he got jipped out on that extra knuckle. Yes, you know. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and his reach—it's really just funny because his reach is not that long. No, no, but he makes up for it with you know his knowledge and just and how, his speed and his work ethic. Anybody who can play that way, yeah. okay, has a work ethic. Sure. They've done it eight, nine, ten hours a day. The way Especially somebody, when their hands are that, are that the way stout. somebody, it's like you, if you you work at General Motors. Right. If your shift was seven to three, you punched in at seven. You punched out at three with a with a forty five minute break in the middle and a cup of coffee breaks. That's the way it is. Done. And sometimes you have to do that being a musician because you're not in the mood all the time. What sure. separates the pros from the amateurs is that the pros go, I'm not in the mood, but I'm going to 
gonna work I'm gonna a little do it program anyway. in my that's head it. and yeah. go do my three hours well, that's and like give the people what they need right. in life. Anything. That's right. why only two percent right. of the people in this world are even successful. Right. Ninety eight percent of the people won't do it. They any, won't do it. No. Any job, any profession, unless you're cleaning shrimp all day long in the back of a red lobster, you can Company. be in a bad mood, good mood, you can dress anyway, you can come in in pajamas, it doesn't matter. But That's if right. you're doing anything, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, rock star, you have to be on all cylinders all That's the time. That's why I got no problem with baseball players making millions a year. I don't have a problem with that, because they put in the work. I have no problem with anybody making as much as anybody's yeah. willing to pay them. That's it. Oh, there willing, you go. If I do, if I do you're as you're not sticking up a bank for it. Right, yeah. I do have a problem with Monday morning quarterbacks. I can't stand those guys. Those guys, I can't stand. Anyway. Should have, could have, would have. Exactly. But you didn't. They did. Yeah, good night. Anyway. Pop. Katy Perry. Miley Cyrus. Okay. Uh, Madonna. She, right, she's you know she, she's a pop star. She was so what's now? Now way. how do you how do you differentiate her type of music or their type of music with the the Pink Floyd's, with the Led Zeppelin's, with you know Yes, Guess Who, Rush? Usually, meaning pop started out as popular music, meaning sure that's where the, not the term classical, pop not jazz. In fact, popular music started out really in the twenties and the thirties. A song would get on the radio, okay, and people, everybody had a piano in their house in those days. Rich, poor, everybody had a piano, right? And they sold the sheet music at local music stores. In fact, Judy Garland and I forget who else made some movie about both of them worked in this sheet music store. And they didn't know that they were romantic pum pals together. Do you know what I'm talking about? How did about? I not know See, about I'm, tri- I'm, I'm tripping out. Anyway. What movie is that? <laughs> Meet Me in St. Louis? No. One of these musicals that Judy Garland made afterwards was. But anyway. Like a You've Got Male Sleepless in Seattle type of thing? Or? Sort of, except 40 years ago in a sheet music store. But anyway, they used to sell. That's how popular music started. This is normally what happens when I ever ask a mic a question or we have a conversation off microphone. I'll ask him a question, and like within a matter of seconds, we're talking about. I'll ask him a question about, you know, uh, Herbie Hancock, and all of a sudden we'll be talking about Danny DeVito from Taxi. You know, there's probably a tie-in somewhere there. Sure, there's probably six degrees of separation. Hey, podcast, yeah, that's guys. for you to do your homework. You look for the tie-in. I right. ain't got that kind of time. At anyway, any rate, popular, popular music, music. Here we go. They they <laughs> sold the way they made money on popular music starting yeah. out is they sold the sheet music for it. Okay, people wanted to learn how to play it because it was and popular, sing it because and they would feel like. Had the sing-alongs end. in their house, in their house, like a party. That's what right. They did. Gotcha. Okay, that was a karaoke uh, of that time. Right. So this is why publishing and copyrights were very important. Sure. Because if you were the songwriter, like Irving Berlin, or yeah. the guy Noel who wrote Coward. White Christmas, no, sure. that's right. You wanted to own the rights to your publishing Absolutely. because when sure. they sold the piece of sheet music, that's you got it. a piece. That's how you got your money. There you go. So they that's were releasing how, singles of Swonderful. Yes, so that's how the that's a, yes, so that's how the term popular music started out. Especially okay. oh, when Sinatra was singing with Jimmy Dorsey, they sold millions of sheet music of the songs that he sang I with can imagine. Because to so, sing like Sinatra, you don't even have to be able to sing. You just have to be able to talk to music. You, you <laughs> my opinion, but whatever. You, Sinatra said it once himself. He yeah. said, "You could say what you want about me, but when I sing, I believe." And, and there you go. So therefore, you believe. Absolutely. You believe. Yeah. I'm being truthful. Listen, I love Sinatra. Right. I love Sinatra. No, One of my right. favorite songs is Summer Wind. But here's the thing. The beauty of Sinatra is you don't have to be a good singer to sing along with him and feel cool. No. It's just cool. He stayed in his lane. There you go. I, was li- good at. Oh, I like he that. He knew what he was good at, and he did it. And he did it. Right. He just stayed and did that. That's awesome. All right, so pop. So like that's Gwen where the Stefani. term popular so, music so popular, started. from popular. Right. Okay. Popular. How did it become like, like this Madonna. bubble gum kind of bouncy thing? Well, because um, even back in the day, 
all the girls screaming for Sinatra were 15 and 16 year olds at all his shows at the Paramount. Okay, they right. did shows that weren't in bars, right? So that these young teenage girls could Can go, go hear him. They used uh, to do matinees at these places in New York. My father saw him in the 30s. And that's pretty cool, sure, right? Wow. So they were teen. It was always these teenage girls fainting over these guys. Elvis <laughs> didn't invent it. The Beatles didn't invent it. Right. Maybe the Beatles manager Brian Epstein paid a couple girls to faint at first. I could see him do that. that. He was they a fainted anyway. He was right. a total businessman. That's right. So it was always geared toward right. teenage girls, pop music always from its inset from minute one out of the gate. And nowadays, of course, in the sixties and the seventies when the hippie thing was going on and it was too cool, you weren't trying to be commercial. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where art rock and progressive rock came from. They were purposely not trying to target a bunch of teeny boppers. They wanted to reach people on a different More of a highbrow and, and kind of a thing. Sure. More of a highbrow thing. Now that's but, where kinda of like the Bob Streisand comes in, like the Adele type of thing. That's more highbrow. Well that's adult contemporary. All right, well let's not get ahead of ourselves. But, but anyway, back to pop. Madonna, Gwen Stefani. Okay. Sure, they are targeting girls between the ages of 15 and 25. Katy Perry, that's Lady the, Gaga, same thing? Yes, that's okay. their demographic. Now, there's an awful lot of people who, look, I always I thought Madonna was great from the minute she came out because she was different. She sure. could do it. She was yeah. a great entertainer. Sure. Right. And she's got a genius IQ. She was throwing stuff in there. The grown-ups could, uh, you know, her poetry, the grown-ups could they appreciate it. They get in on it. it. Yeah, sure. Of course. Gotcha. Or or you could just be silly to holiday and want to dance to it and let's smoke some reefer. Okay, go or for like it. Or like Material Girl, and then you see something like the, Evita. The thing, Evita. What she did with that? The thing that was on... Um, uh, the Austin Power thing that she contributed a song to, or what was that? Was that Beautiful Stranger? She did some song did on Austin on an Austin Power. Film. Really? Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure. Well, oh, anyway, okay. Anyway, but they're geared toward this demographic right. of 15 to 25 gotcha. year old girls. Okay. Now, a lot of other people appreciate, you know, a lot of these pops. Some of it, right. some of it is no good, but it won't be around for more than two or three years. That's how ah, you can tell that Madonna's brilliant, Katy Perry's brilliant, Gwen Stefani still around. because they've been doing it for 20 years yeah, and yeah. their audience grew with them grew with plus them. they've got new people of that initial demographic of that initial age right. group that said hey this is cool I'm going to go get something from their back catalog or like, like the old oh, stuff and then compare it to know, the new stuff which yeah, could right. be a sort of progressive pop right, kind of right. Progressive pop, pop. which because there's, there's no way that a 10 year old or a 12 year old doesn't hear their parents CD collection oh of course or a record collection or look, vinyl look when I was a kid I appreciated, you know, my father had all these jazz, had, you know, Benny Goodman and Mm -hmm, and Glenn Miller Mm -hmm. and Roy Haynes and Miles Davis Mm -hmm. and Charlie Parker and Dave Brubeck. Dave Brubeck. Uh, Disco. I'm one of the few guys that, like, grew up in that era who was one of the few rock guys. Okay. Who appreciated disco? Really? Yeah. So you didn't write yeah. like you know death to disco. You didn't have a death to disco T-shirt. I did, but I didn't mean it. I would you take. So you wear it. I would to take. Fit in. I would take it really? off. <laughs> I would take it off when I went into the disco because that's where all the really good-looking, dressed-up yeah, women you were. You wear it inside you know? out in the disco. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want these hippie girls that like didn't shave their armpits. I oh, wanted oh, to go oh, to the disco. No, yeah, right. You know what I mean. I wanted to go to the disco where they were like, "Wow, yeah. these are women. They're in a dress. They're in high heels." <laughs> you know. You probably saw my wife in one of those places because you're a disco queen right yeah yeah that's right i've seen her dance yes but speaking about the music but yeah the music yeah the first time i heard disco i remember saying and this is before there was a computerized dance beat okay i could program one of my keyboards or computer to do that repetitive ad infinitum 
this was an actual drummer in the studio and a bass player doing that. Listen to a Donna Summers record sure, for 15 okay. minutes. This wasn't a loop tape. So you're telling that me like in Last keep, Dance? He had to keep that perfect so beat. So Donna Summers' Last Dance, that's yeah. a live drummer. That's a live drummer. Really? That's a live drummer. On, wow. t- on tape, on analog tape. If I'm wrong, let somebody speak up and say, no, we looped the tape. Or let some producer call up and say it wasn't done that Podcast way. Podcast let us sure. know. If, you, if, you, if you're in the know on this, let us know. Dramatic Prod, click on contact us, leave us a message, and we'll address your question on the next episode. But sure, because this is before digital recording. Everything was on sure. analog tapes. Wow. So the only that's way right. to change what went on that tape is to, like, lay down a new track. Lay down a new track. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, like, like Donna, right, we need you right, back in the studio. Right. Uh, Pete Townshend from The Who says, he says, oh my God, he says, when I listen to our records, I can actually tell where I took a razor blade and cut the tape. Wow, and because, I used to do that with video. Because, because they were on a budget. Right, yeah, of sure. course, you move it, but you put it in the tape machine. We didn't and, even uh, have that. We actually did it literally by hand. Well, yes, this is yeah, by hand. On a light you box. put it in the machine, but you move it back and forth so you can hear just where you want to cut. Where that break is going to be, yeah. And you cut That's, it. And like, and, I miss and, those days, and there, and some producers and engineers were like got so good at that because here you had Jimi Hendrix or somebody taking this great sure. solo yeah. and all of a sudden he just ran out of gas but they wanted to keep that two and a half minutes of guitar right, right. so they would cut the tape or splice it or start a new one and, and you can't it, you know, hear that right, audio right, seam you right. can't hear it they uh, got that good at the old, they got that, that old good way, yeah. they got that good at it that's and if it's just guitar keyboards or horns yeah that's one thing you just wait until there's a break and cut it but drums and bass you really had to be good at it all you guys out there that use things like garage band and audacity and adobe audition any of those sound editors avids even those Interfaces, those menus are designed after the old equipment that we used to use to like do this stuff with. I speak for myself in for video. We used to have like two Sony RS232 Sony decks. We would go from deck to deck, deck to deck. We'd have these like these big wheels that we would like jog shuttle through frame by frame by frame, cut it with this big kunk sound. I mean it was crazy. All the stuff that people use today is designed to look like that old equipment because that's what worked. Anyway, we're getting way off topic, but disco. So you appreciated disco, and sure. if you hear something today, do you hear something today that sounds like disco? What sounds like disco today? Is disco even still a thing? I've heard Katy Perry do disco. Anything with that beat, that dance, at one and three. That hustle thing, that hustle beat. Exactly. You hear the kick drum and hi-hat cymbal and the ride cymbal and the snare are doing this dance beat that is immobile. So you what would you say? What would you say this one? And the bass sinks in with it. Lady Gaga does some great disco. Okay. All you right. Know, she had. There's that. There's a disco beat, but it sounds different than the back in the day disco beat because it's got an electronic kick. Oh, there's a whole because other the thing. Drum, that, yeah. Yeah. The drums mic a certain way. A Absolutely. Whole Absolutely. Right, Absolutely. Right, okay. Right. So we're coming in about a half hour. So check this out. All right. Let's now transition dramatic prog i've taken elements that are progressive rock from the late 60s and the 70s which is i feel like a lot of the music nowadays is just the vocal and the modern disco so even the voice even and the good acoustic? even even lady gaga's best music is usually the focus is on her voice and the lyrics, which yeah. are important, okay. but the beat. You almost ask anybody, any listener to her more dance-oriented pop stuff, 
they couldn't tell you what was going on in between the vocal and the bass and the drums down here. To them, it's just a bunch of synth sounds and maybe a little guitar, and you know, it's almost sound effects. Whereas dramatic prog, the focus isn't only on good poetry, but it's a focus on the music, which is actually based on jazz and classical, and just amplified. Okay. Like, especially for like a keyboard player, I have a hard time just playing four chords and singing over it because, first of all, I can't do it for long because it bores me. Okay. And second of all, there's a lot of people doing that. I want to do something that's relevant today, but is using the musical tools that I learned from when I was taking piano lessons. And the music I grew up on. Oh, so which, it's like so. This is this would appeal to people who have musical ADD kind of stuff. I think it appeals to everybody. If someone's never heard the opera before, yeah. you take them to hear the opera. Okay. Now there's some people that can't relate to it. There's nothing about it they can relate to. It's in a foreign language. Gee, it doesn't sound like Bad Company or Mick Jagger or Adam Levine. So uh-huh. that's out. And right. it's a classical orchestra. Gee, there's no guitars or loud drums in there, so right. they can't relate to it. But some people will go hear it, and they could be nine years old, and they could say, Gee, when I want to grow up, I want to play in a classical orchestra. Or I want to play the violin, or I want to be an opera singer. Some people, it reaches into them and it attacks them. If you expose people to something that they've never heard before, I think 50 or 60% of people are going to find something in it that's valid. If an art form is put in front of them, they're going to find something in it that speaks to them. I called it dramatic prog. I didn't want to say progressive because that makes people think it's retro. So I just said prog. And I said dramatic because it's extremely dramatic. The definition of melodrama is a story that's crunched down into such a small time frame that it's almost surreal. Like, in no way could that possibly happen in real life. But to tell the story, they want to crunch it together. That's sort of what I mean by dramatic prog. I'm exaggerating and going to extreme with some of the poetry and some of the music to draw attention and to accent certain things. Gotcha. Cool, man. Well, that is awesome. That is actually going to conclude this episode of Dramatic Prague, the podcast. Looking forward to more episodes, man. It's going to be great. I haven't talked about myself this long since the last date I was on. Well, thank God for that. (laughs) Mike, it was good seeing you, my man. We will see you all next week on Dramatic Prague. You've been listening to the Dramatic Progcast. Visit us online at DramaticProg.com to join our mailing list for upcoming dates, news, releases, and other great stuff. And like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Dramatic Prog. Dramatic Prog. Music that's outside of the basic three minutes sell it till your 12-year-old girl pop single. <laughs>